It's time for another episode of Dynasty Oasis Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Newts and Josh Adkins. Hello, and welcome to the Dynasty Oasis Podcast. My name is Matthew Newts. With me today, as always, Joshua Adkins. You can find us both on Twitter. I am at Nasty Newts. Josh is at Dynasty Oasis. And it is draft week, folks. Uh, I'm excited. Are you excited, Josh? I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Yeah, it's kind of bubbling over at this point. I it, the, the the amount of time that we have left, it's a couple work days and a crack and a beer after Thursday. So uh, it's right around the corner, and I, I absolutely can't wait. This is going to be one of the most exciting drafts that I can remember, uh, one of the more star-studded drafts I can remember, one of the more offensive drafts I can remember. Uh, it's going to be a good year for Dynasty dynasty managers, and I uh, I can't wait till Thursday. Yeah, I'm super pumped. Um I guess, we'll, we, real quick, let's kind of just lay out our show tonight and our, our remind people our plan for this uh, weekend. Um, tonight, we're just going to kind of do like a quick little sort of mock draft where we're trying to just kind of talk through the top 10. And since we're both Vikings fans and we have a lot of Vikings fans listeners, we're going to run it to pick 14 where the Vikings pick. After that, it's going to be too much of a crapshoot to try and predict. Um, if you want to see a mock draft of what I think they should do, not what I think they will do, go to dynastyoasis.com. That's on the website. Um, I ran a full first round mock. Um, so check that out. So tonight we're going to talk about that. Um, we'll have, you know, just our, our discussion throughout the, the picks. And then after that, um, you had a few things planned that I wasn't really involved with. So, uh, some draft superlatives, um, and we want to have a little bit of a IDP discussion for those of you that participate in IDP leagues. Um, as far as this weekend goes, we are going to be uh, recording as soon as the first round ends on Thursday night. So um, if you're uh, a night owl like me, you can stay up, stay up late and listen to that or check it out Friday morning. And then we're going to do the same thing Friday night after rounds two and three. And then our plan for, uh, after uh th- you know rounds four through seven is somewhat up in the air it may just be monday our normal time slot yep yep that was my thinking and uh you know that's that's kind of because i think you know to some degree it wouldn't be the worst thing to have uh a little bit of extra prep time on some of these guys further down the board uh certainly the nfl draft is you know i think it's 250 some 260 some picks uh to say that i've done film work on on 260 guys would be a stretch. I've certainly really delved deep into the into the dynasty guys because that's the what we care most about. But um, yeah, it's uh, the NFL draft that you know outside of dynasty is fun for all of these positions and some of the stories you're going to get to hear. And um, I'm just I can't wait. And yeah, the third round uh, coverage will probably be on that Monday show. I think makes the most sense. Yeah, give um, us a little time to digest and and kind of think things through. Um, so I I mean. Extra Dynasty Oasis this week. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find two bigger draft nerds than me and Josh. Um, I think before we get into this mock, um, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about the uh, Julio Jones rumors? Uh, yes. Potentially being on the move? Yeah, so the rumor was that, uh, I think this was Monday morning this broke, where it, it was apparent that a couple teams had reached out to the Falcons about Julio's um, availability. And then the, the news shortly thereafter was that once the national media got wind of it and broke the story, uh, like six to eight teams called the, the Falcons also interested in what the price was for Julio. Um, he can't really be traded contractually. And I'm not entirely certain as to 
um, how big of a difference it would be. But from what I understand, it's it's essentially uh, cap detrimental to do this before June 2nd. So it sounds like uh, most likely Atlanta is going to be getting future draft capital if they were going to move on to from Julio Jones. I do think the interesting thing is, uh, does this make it more likely that they potentially uh, move back and take a wide receiver? Um, you know, I, I think the idea is that we can hear news about whether or not he's been moved, you know, anytime between now and June 2nd, essentially, or whenever, um, but that it would be for future capital. So I just wonder how this plays into Atlanta's uh, draft plans. And as if we needed another wrench thrown into the top 10, I think that's kind of another one here where we've, we've all been sort of figuring if they stick at four, it's going to be Kyle Pitts. And um, maybe that's a little less likely now. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we'll get to that uh, on our, our draft board, but it certainly makes uh, trying to predict this a lot tougher. Um, maybe puts Jamar Chase in play there. Um, and like you said, they could still definitely move down for uh, for a team trying to move up for a quarterback. So mm-hmm. uh, that would maybe put them in more reasonable range for even a Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle if that's what they preferred. But um, yeah, it, it makes a lot more things possible, I guess. What are your thoughts on Julio just as a dynasty asset in general? Let's let's assume maybe that he's not in Atlanta because I think we've probably talked about what we expect if he's in Atlanta. If if he's outside, uh, he has to go to a new team essentially. How does that change the outlook for Julio for you? Well, I think just putting his uh, his landing spot in flux um, probably hurts his value a little bit for me right now with the unknown. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's always a possibility. Uh, we didn't even talk about this, I guess, but Baltimore has two first round picks now with the yeah. Orlando Brown trade right. to, to Kansas City. If Julio goes to Baltimore, that's that's pretty bad news for me. Um, so I think I got to hedge a little bit on the possibility he goes somewhere worse. Yeah, Atlanta's a bad team, but it's a you know a pretty good team for a wide receiver to put up fantasy numbers. Yeah, and I think even more so than where he goes or how good the situation may or may not look. I think a big portion of Julio's value right now is insulated in the fact that while there might not be bigger upside, I mean, he might not, he, he's more than likely had his best NFL season. It's behind right. him, right? Yeah. But I think there's some real stability and projectability in where he is now and the situation and how it's worked for them. I know it's a new head coach, but at least this, the same quarterback is back in the same city. I think that there's a comfortability there that's tied to his, if he has to go someplace else, I while it may be a better landing spot, you know, who knows, Kansas City could be a team that's, you know, potentially involved in this. Who knows? They're willing to seemingly go trade for anybody. Um, however, uh, I think at, at the end of the day, if, if he's outside of Atlanta, I think, um, well, I don't know that the production ceiling has necessarily changed almost regardless of where he goes because he's such a good player. Uh, but I think the the trade value, at least until we see him pro- produce again, is going to diminish almost no matter what the situation is yeah i tend to agree um do you want to just kind of dive right into the old macaroo yeah absolutely so we kind of consensusly agreed that uh regardless of who got the one or the two we were gonna the idea is here to be right and i think uh regardless of how we have these players ranked we don't see it going anything other than trevor lawrence and zach wilson feel free to correct me there 
No, yeah, I'm I'm with you. There's way too much. I mean, Lawrence is as obvious as it gets, so we right. don't even need to dwell on that. We've talked about him a bunch. I'm sure we'll talk about him a bunch more. So let's move on. Zach Wilson, I think there's been enough reporting out there and really nothing out there to contradict the fact that the Jets are taking Zach Wilson. So if I'm betting money on it, uh, and if you look at betting odds, like he is extremely heavily favored to be the second pick in the draft. So yep. I think it would be foolish to try and make some sort sort of case that that's not going to be what happens right so the whole draft starts at three mm-hmm. um we haven't even talked about this i'll give you the final say um but i'd like to start out by saying the news of actually monday that was probably bigger than the julio news uh was the fact that it sounds like uh shanahan wants mac jo- this is the report at least that shanahan is is interested in mac jones and the scouting department and the uh the brass if you will at at in San Francisco want Trey Lance and neither of those names are Justin Fields, which I know triggers people in the uh, dynasty community. Um, neither of us are low on fields, but I, you know, it doesn't sound like that's going to be the pick. So first off, what are your thoughts on that? And, you know, I guess the other part is, is could this all hypothetically be, I mean, if it's a smoke screen, what would this be a smoke screen for? Well, the most plausible explanation I've heard laid out is that they do actually want fields, but they're doing all of this to try and make the Jets not second-guess their Zach Wilson take, and that if they make it clearly apparent that they moved up for Justin Fields Mm -hmm. in this pick, that the Jets are going to be like, "Uh, are we off base here? Maybe we should take Justin Fields. So that's really the most plausible explanation. Other than that, if they know the Jets are taking Zach Wilson, they're just doing it to be cute. But if they're afraid of the Jets changing their mind, maybe they're playing the whole game. We never wanted Fields anyways, whatever. So I I think that could that's possible enough to where you see the betting odds. They've been going crazy. Like Mac Jones is the minus 200 favorite right now to go number three. But as recently as like seven days ago, Justin Fields was the favorite. And now Trey Lance with Ian Rappaport's reporting <laughs> yep. that it's between Fields or not Fields, uh, Jones and Lance. Um, now Lance is the second favorite. So honestly, I don't really know what to believe at this point and predicting it. I honestly, I would take the odds on bet if I'm betting on it. I would, I would take the five to one odds on fields. But I think, right, um, if I have to be right, just to be right, I think I gotta go Mac Jones. Okay, interesting. And I guess here's here's the question that I think I have that that's more important to me. If they take any of the three, is it defensible? I mean, I, regardless of who they take, can you make an argument for why it's the right choice? I'd have a much easier time defending Justin okay. Fields or Trey Lance. Mac Jones, I understand why they like him. I don't understand why they needed to trade three first-round picks to get to pick three for Mac Jones. Sure. I don't really think I can defend that um, personally. No, and I think that's that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. and. That's where I'm at. I know Twitter is going to lose its mind when eventually, because you pretty much said this is this is your pick here. You're going to go Mac Jones. I think that that's the most likely scenario too. If we're just trying to be right, um, and Twitter's going to go crazy, and I can defend the pick. Now, the part about moving up, I understand what you're saying. I'll also say Mac represents something that really none of the other four quarterbacks have in this class, which is 
a guy that's just a distributor, distributor, excuse me, knows exactly where to go with the ball. And that's not what I'm looking for at three. And I know that's not what the dynasty community is looking for at three, but that might be what San Francisco is looking for at three. And um, I'm just, I'm just trying to say, let's all calm down. Whoever the pick is at three, I think you can make an argument as to why he is the third ranked quarterback. Um, yeah, that's no, just my you're... two cents. You're right. I'm I'm a little more down on Mac Jones than the community, but I understand the logic. Well, and and in San Francisco, like that makes him a pretty darn juicy fantasy asset. I mean, who cares about what they gave up to go get him? It, right. It's a great fit for him. Well, and let me ask this: in a normal draft, you know, without sort of all the moving pieces that we've seen here in this draft, where does Mac normally fit in a, in a first or second round? Where does he fit for you in a normal draft? Just the prospect. Just the um, prospect, yeah. He, I mean, the thing is, it's hard because quarterbacks always get kind of that late rise. You right. know, like, yep. he, he, he looked to me like a mid-first-round pick. Um, but I understand a, a quarterback that looks like a mid-first-round pick is probably a top five, top ten pick right. in most drafts. Yeah, the comp I'll make is Dan Jones. Mm-hmm. I like Mac Jones a heck of a lot more than I like Dan Jones coming out of Duke. Now, right. Not everybody shares that opinion with me, and that's totally fine. I understand why somebody might like one over the other, one Jones over the other. However, Dan Jones went pick, what, six? Yeah, that seems right. So how unfeasible and how you know unrealistic is it really to think that San Francisco, in a draft where two quarterbacks are already going to go in front of you, moved up to go get the guy that they like? I, I understand the argument. I just... I know how the NFL works and thinks to some degree, and and that I'm with you. That feels like the consensus pick. Now I like the the argument you made for Fields that this is all a smokescreen for uh, a Jets coaching staff essentially that just departed from uh, San Francisco Cisco across the country. Uh, so I get that, and that very well may be you know what ends up being true. Um, However, it feels like there's a steady drumbeat of people saying that the NFL doesn't quite value fields the way that we do. So he's the most interesting name to see where he's going to end up going in the draft. I know he's not attending uh, the NFL draft, which is probably good news if the fall were to happen, um, because that's always torture seeing a guy sit in in the green room or whatever. But um, I'm just I think he's going to be a really good player, regardless of where I have him ranked or where he ends up going. Um, let's not forget Lamar Jackson was called a wide receiver by the, kind of the old guard of the NFL right. and went pick 32 in the draft, which conveniently Chris Sims just put out a draft today where Justin yeah, Fields that. went pick yeah. 32. And no chance. No, <laughs> no chance. chance. Of course not. Of course no, there's no chance. But yeah. at the same time. But it got your clicks. Right. Well, and if it really ended up happening that way, it would be the best thing for Justin Fields. I mean, do you know what I mean? This, th- yeah. this stuff, if, if Justin Fields is the player we all think he is, it's going to work out almost no matter how this shakes out. So I'm just trying to keep people in a sane set of, you know, in a sane mindset as we move into a pretty crazy and wild couple days here. We can move on from this pick. Uh, Atlanta's at four. I think this one's pretty easy. If they stick and pick, and frankly, uh, you know, depending upon who San Francisco takes at three, I think you can make an argument that if anybody's going to move up to four from, you know, to get Atlanta's pick, that they're taking the same guy that I'm going to stick and just pick here for Atlanta, and it's Kyle Pitts. So I think in terms of predictability, predicting what happens, I think this makes a lot of sense, not just because it makes the most sense for the Falcons, but also because I think if 
I heard Miami is already now reinterested in moving back up. I think when they dropped back to six, they thought Pitts was just going to be sitting there for him. Right. Or they thought what... someone else was going to pop up for the fourth quarterback sure. or whatever. Um, yeah, I've heard those same rumors as well. Um, I feel like maybe they think they got a little too cute and thought they were <laughs> going to get Pitts at six. Yeah. So maybe they move some capital, you know, from this year or next year. They've got a bunch of it um, to get back up to four. But then I think the pick pick would just be pits as well. So, uh, yeah, say that five times fast. Uh, so I think we should move on unless you got any uh, sort of conspiracy theories on how you think this might shake down. No, I think if they stay put, I am in agreement. I would wager pits is the guy there um, uh, on it. Betting odds for pits. Uh, they set the line over or under at five and a half and he's heavily favored to go earlier than sure. pick five and a half. So um, there seems to be some steam there that it's likely he's going for, whether it's the Falcons or someone else, which moves us to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really only two names. The community's picking here. If Kyle Pitts is off the table, do they take the left tackle and Penny Sewell mm-hmm. um, or do they reunite Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase? I still think that they should take the tackle, and I think they will take the tackle. It would be super fun to put Burrow and Jamar Chase back together. It would (laughs) be super fun for football fans, for fantasy football fans. But, man, he took a beating. That line was trash. Um, Yeah, the ACL wasn't because necessarily of his offensive line. But regardless, you don't want him getting sacked 85 times next year. I'm taking Sewell here. Do you agree? Yeah, that's what I would be doing. Um, I know Burrow wants Chase, and maybe they'll just cave to their young quarterback. It's possible. uh, You know, it's totally possible. I think the only pick that makes sense is Penny Sewell. You have to protect uh, Joe Burrow. And at the end of the day, I think when you look at their wide receiver core, a big appeal of, of Jamar Chase is that he can play a lot of different roles. You can kick him into the slot. You can, you know, move him around. I think you make him a very... Um, I don't know what the correct word is. I think you make him a, a role-specific player and just an outside X player, and you don't get the opportunity to move him around. I think if you know they're looking for that deep threat, that outside receiver, I think they can address that much later in the in the draft, and and more so, I think they can address it much easier than they can address tackle. Is really what this comes down well, to. Tyler Boyd feels like one of the most underappreciated yeah. talents in the NFL. People act like he doesn't even exist. And obviously T Higgins is there as well. Wide receiver is not a massive need for them. Certainly not a top five need. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they could get a pretty darn good player if they wanted to take one in round two. So I don't really, well, see, I mean, I love chase, but I, it, this picks pretty easy for me. Something weird happens and four goes quarterback. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, would they entertain Pitts over uh, Penny Sewell? See, think? in that situation, I think it's a lot tougher. Me too. Um, and I think I think they would take Pitts. That's that's where I'm at too. Is that that's a as big of a hole as left tackle is? Um, I'm not quite sold that Kyle Pitts is some uh, impact player in the run game, but he's at least a tight end that you can you know uh, get into some different packages more so than anything uh, with him. And and I think he makes you. Uh, pretty versatile in that regard, and and that's that, that's I'm in agreement with you. I would well, take Pitts over they, Sewell for that. If team. they do take Sewell, and then in round two, Pat Firemuth might be Ooh. in play for them. That would be a. I know I've I've put him on Jacksonville a thousand times, but Cincinnati would get me equally excited. 
Yeah, just on an unrelated note, out, outside of, you know, a couple of the names right at the top of the board, I feel like Friermuth to Jacksonville is one of the more uh, projected or projectable uh, landing spots. But, yeah, I, I digress. So you're going Sewell at, at five. Yep. Um, so I'm on the clock at six with Miami here. Um, this one is also fairly easy, I would say. Or or do you think – so I'm going to take – I'm going to just say I'm going to take Jamar Chase because he's the highest-rated player on my board pretty easily right here. Yeah. However, do you think the idea of pairing Tua with a playmaker that he played with at Alabama comes into play here? I think that's just too convenient of a thing, a way to push. I mean, would it shock me? No, but I mean, come on. That shouldn't be a decisive reason to take someone. Sure. I think Jamar Chase makes honestly more sense for the Dolphins. Yeah. Um, I'd, I wouldn't go that route. I'd absolutely agree on Chase. Okay, so Chase is the pick. Uh, we're on to Detroit. I think this is one of the uh, the tougher picks here at seven. Yeah. What yeah, let's talk with... this through a little yeah. bit because yeah. I'm I'm undecided. Um, they traded obviously Matthew Stafford for Jared Goff. They everything they've said since they've traded for Goff is they believe in Goff. This mm-hmm. wasn't we're taking on a bad contract just uh, whatever. Which I I kind of I'm not necessarily agreeing with them on that obviously, but um, whether or not they believe in Goff long term or not, I think you have to at least entertain the idea of of Justin Fields here yep. or even Trey Lance, but I just don't think that's what they're going to do. Um, no. Well, I think if you're going to do that, you need to put them on the bench, you know, lock them there and throw away the key for a full season because they do not have the infrastructure around either, even as good as no. both of these players are outside of scheme and just creating for themselves. I don't want to see either of these players have to go in early and start for a Detroit team that just does not have weapons. No, it would be line. It would be gross for them. Uh, Yeah. But we look at future draft classes, at least next year. I don't think either of us are super fond of the quarterback (laughs) class a year from now. So if you don't take one here, you're betting really big on Jared Goff being, um, enough of a caretaker, I guess, to get you to the next guy. I can't imagine they see Goff as more than a one or two year guy, but they have to have some sort of a plan. I just, I don't know. I can't figure this new or or this new regime out. I'm not quite sure where they're going. They've got holes everywhere. Wide receivers, a big need. I Mm -hmm. mean, I think they could even consider offensive line or just best defensive player. Well, you mind if I step in? Because the yeah. wide receiver is what normally gets mocked to Detroit. Right, and I don't think and, that's going to happen either. Well, that's stupider than quarterback. Stupid oh, is not a word, but that's dumber than quarterback because ultimately good quarterbacks create good wide receivers, not the other way around. And while, yes, you need to invest in that position, you don't necessarily need to find wide receivers at the top of the board to get good ones. They got Kenny Galladay in the fourth round for Pete's sakes. Um, I just think you're putting the cart before the horse if you're taking wide receiver for Detroit at the top of this draft. So if I'm not if I'm not taking quarterback, I'm not taking wide receiver. Let's put it that way. Um, in terms so, of, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. So talking this through, I think what makes the most sense for them is to take best defensive player available. Yep. Um, they they spent early draft capital last year on cornerback, so Sertain's probably the top defender on the board for me, but it's really close with the guy that I think I'm leaning towards taking, and that's Micah Parsons from Penn State. 
That would fit, I think, in terms of, well, see, here's the hard problem is that, again, you're looking for, give me a cornerstone piece in the way that uh, the Jets even got. with I, the, the Jets, very similar scenario last year where cupboards were very bare. You needed to get a corner, and I just don't see middle linebacker, or even kind of this hybrid player that he is. I just don't see that as a cornerstone piece to a team necessarily. Yeah. Um, this is a really tough one. I'm going to be honest. I think this is the 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 most likely team to uh, move significantly uh, in this draft in terms of getting off of this pick. And maybe, yeah. I mean, if you're there probably was a, right. If there was a team. Like, you know, I've heard Chicago talked about. I don't think that's going to happen because it's in the division. However, if, you know, the, the Washington football team was New interested. England. Right. New England wanted to come up for a quarterback. I've heard Oakland has done their work on this quarterback class, potentially looking at Carr's successor if he can't, you know, uh, keep up the semi-good play from last year. There's teams in that 18 to 25 range that I think would consider moving up to this pick. I just don't see... Um, I just, I don't, I'm having a hard time with the pick. I think for Detroit, if I have to make it, I think you're probably right. It's Micah Parsons, but that's all the more reason why I think that's, if we're going to stick and pick here, I think we have to take a quarterback. I think that's yeah. the only logical solution. Talking yeah. Through, through you knew with you news. If we're going to stay here, quarterback, that's, that's the only play. I agree. And I think, um, we're making this pick for the, the draft position, not for the team. Um, I totally agree. Thinking this through, Detroit's not staying at seven unless they believe in the quarterback that's going here. Justin Fields can't fall any further. I think that's what I'm going to lock in. Well, and the one other thing I'll say, I think Penny Sewell, if he gets to this spot, that would be one player they might not take a quarterback for and stick and pick. Uh, I just don't think they're going to just sit at seven and take a wide receiver. That would be... That would be what has put Detroit in this situation constantly, whether you're talking about the good picks in Calvin Johnson at the top of the draft or you're talking about some of the Charles Rogers and Roy Williams that they've done this with. They just – you can't when – the, when the cupboards are this bare, you can't spend that type of capital on uh, a wide receiver, in my opinion. So – um, I'm with you. Let's take Fields. I'm, I think that's the pick. So I still can't believe Roy Williams wasn't good. By the way, I thought he was going to be awesome. I did too, but, and I, I liked uh, the other Roy Williams, the the safety that went to the Cowboys, and yeah. neither of them really lived up to the uh, extraordinary hype that they had. But they were two of my. I loved the Texas Longhorns back in the back yeah, in my younger they had days. So many fun players. Oh my god! All right. So before we get off on some weird tangent, let's. Uh, Get to the Carolina Panthers, another quarterback possibility. They yep. traded for Sam Darnold, so I think it's a lot less likely now. They still haven't moved Teddy. Um, it sounds like they still want to. This is your pick, um, but I think it's another one we need to kind of talk through a little bit. It absolutely is, because I think you can make a case for, you know, what I heard today was that if Fields is there at eight, Fields is, is maybe the one that somebody, I forget who the reporter was that said it, but uh, somebody said today that that Fields is the guy that if they were, I think it was on Mel and Todd's podcast, but but forgive me. Either way, I think quarterbacks in play here. That's not what I'd be looking to do as an organization. I don't think you trade a second, a fourth, and a sixth to go get right. Sam Darnold, who's still twenty three years old, just to spend pick eight on on a quarterback. Uh, Agree. That said, it would it shock me? No. Would it really change my Evaluate. Once we get the, the fourth quarterback off the board or fifth quarterback off the board, I guess this would be 
we should have a conversation about just super flex, how we're sort of valuing these guys. But um, I think I'm going to wait here if, if I'm Carolina. What are your thoughts in terms of the quarterback situation here? I, I agree with your take on Darnold. I, I'm I'm a Darnold truther to steal a yeah. stupid thing people say on Twitter that I actually kind of hate. But um, I and the draft capital they gave up to acquire him is not insignificant. Uh, like right. you said, second, fourth, whatever. That's a lot, man. And um, I believe in Matt Rule, and I I believe in the direction this organization's taking. I think this mm-hmm. is an absolutely perfect place for Sam Darnold, and I think he will thrive um with this team uh would it shock me if they took a quarterback no but i think they've done a lot of smart things and that would that wouldn't quite fit the the trends they're setting so um i feel like this is um probably just looking at their team this is probably a a, a patrick certain landing spot maybe um Rashawn Slater, I th- I think, the, yeah it, o-line I yeah, I think if you're not going to be taking quarterback here, you're between offensive line and you're between corner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in the camp that says you got to find a way to support your the guy that you – I mean, at the end of the day, you invested in Darnold for right or for wrong. I wouldn't mind propping him up a little bit. And especially because you're propping up your running back with with that pick. You're propping up the rest of the receiving core. You're helping your the offensive line around him. Um, they, this team spent every pick they had last year on defense. And while corner is a need, um, one thing I think we talked a little bit about pre-show, uh, the corner class is super deep and it's not that I don't like the names at the top, I think to some degree, um, all of them have warts. I think Farley's actually the most talented player at the corner position in the draft, but with his back issues, um, he's seemed to be slipping down boards. Sertan's a guy that I like a lot, obviously, um, but my vote would be for the offensive lineman. Give me Rashawn Slater. I can agree with that. I wouldn't. I would certainly not fault them for doing that. That would make a ton of sense. So um, yeah, I'm on board with that for sure. And now we're on to pick nine, the Denver Broncos. I am of the opinion all five of these quarterbacks are going in the top ten. Yeah. I think Drew Locke sucks. If I'm the Broncos GM, I'm super pumped up right now, and I'm absolutely ecstatic to add Trey Lance to this team. Yeah, and I wouldn't go any other direction. And um, this is I, I'm this is what's going to get me very most excited. Maybe on day one is if and you know again I don't feel any different about this spot than I do about San Francisco. If it's Mac Jones at nine. I'm going to do cartwheels because that's right. a, that's an upgrade from what, what Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant and, you know, all of these guys that I've got huge dynasty investments in. It's an upgrade at the end of the day. So to get Trey Lance, the guy who I have third on the board uh, at nine. Yeah, this would this would be uh, the story of the draft for me. And, um, you know, you did take Trey Lance. How are we feeling in Superflex drafts in terms of? You know, we just gave all four of these quarterbacks, or five of these quarterbacks, I should say, new homes. Is anything changed from your philosophy, which essentially, and I agreed with about a month ago, was in Superflex, the first four picks should be the four quarterbacks. And if, frankly, if Mac Jones goes to San Francisco, he might be the fifth, or, you know, it might be just the quarterbacks go in the top five. Is that still how you feel, or are there playmakers in this draft you'd consider taking over some of these QBs? No, I think that is absolutely how I feel. And I think it's top five. And I think if Mac Jones goes to San Francisco, 
I'm not going to argue with you if you want to take him yeah. earlier than um, someone that might have to to hold a clipboard for an undetermined amount of time. Mm-hmm. If you want to take Mac Jones as early as pick two, if he's a Niner, I can understand it. I don't think I will be participating, mm-hmm. yeah. but I can understand it. Yeah, and I, I, I'm right with you. And I that is not the consensus I'm seeing out there right now. Uh, it feels like a lot of people are advocating to take Najee and Chase and Pitts and some of these skill players over quarterbacks. That's not where I'm at. And frankly, no. there's there's a couple destinations outside of San Francisco that would uh, put Mac Jones into that top five conversation. Quarterbacks are just, they're so dang hard to find. And, you know, certainly your team construct is going to be um, different, but I, I'm I'm confident in my ability to trade these guys. I have one league right now where I have Joe Burrow and four out of the first or three out of the first five picks. Uh, I have Joe Burrow, Ben Roethlisberger, and then three top five picks. If those are all quarterbacks, I'm okay with that. I will, you know, I'm going to be wrong a little bit. That's, that's okay. That's part of the process. Frankly, I'm over insulating at a position of, you know, importance and I'm confident in my ability to trade one of those guys. So yep. um, that's my opinion on this. I'm, I'm glad you share it, but I don't think that that's the consensus out there. Well, I'm uh, pretty confident that we are on the right side of this. We've done two startups recently, Superflex startups. You see the run on quarterbacks in the first two rounds. Yeah, um, It's insane. If you look at trades that happen in these leagues, any <laughs> time a quarterback's involved on one side and not the other, the value given up just to acquire even just a journeyman starting caliber quarterback, right. it's kind of insane. So the acquisition cost of a startup draft or a rookie draft is the best value you're getting on these guys. Yep. Uh, it may feel dirty to take Mac Jones over Najee Harris, and I'm with you. That is kind mm-hmm. of a filthy thing to wash off, but it's absolutely value-wise, in my opinion, the right decision. Yep, I'm absolutely with you. Uh, so we're on to 10 here. We got the Dallas Cowboys. Have we had all offense? No, we took – yeah, we've had all offense, haven't we? We yep. debated Parsons potentially at uh, pick seven there to Detroit, but we ultimately went with the quarterback. Yeah, I okay. think that had changed now, but this is your call. Um, yeah, it's going to change. I think this this is the most likely pick almost in the entire draft that isn't quarterback-related to happen. It's Patrick Sertan is going to yep. be a Cowboy. He's going to be teammates again with Trevon Diggs, who, frankly, I had graded in a similar range and I still think has just enormous upside. But um, this gives the Cowboys two really good shutdown corners, two guys that can both come up and play press man, which – not a lot of teams are able to do. It's not that not everybody wants to do it. It's that most teams don't have the types of athletes that it takes to do it. So um, this is a this is a powerful one-two punch for the Cowboys, and I think this is this was one of the more layup picks in the entire mock exercise here. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we need to overcomplicate this. Dallas yep. needs help there. Uh, would make a ton of sense. I, you get to be Dave Gettleman here. Have fun. Uh, with Man, I might just log off the pod, let you finish it up if I got to be Dave Gettleman. Uh, old school thinker, um, not an analytics fan. Um, I think no. he's the first to tell you that. I All the tea leaves I've been kind of reading on this pick is that the Giants, even if both the Bama receivers are here, nope. I think the Giants prefer Waddle. Okay, and yeah. For, for their team, I'm not so sure that's the wrong choice. I think um, they need a playmaker. There's... They're not giving up on Daniel Jones. Uh, Saquon can't hasn't proven that he can stay healthy, so maybe they need to boost the passing game. 
Um, they signed Kenny Galladay, which is great, but yep. I think Waddle or Smith would be pretty awesome uh, counterparts to him. I just I can't shake the notion that Jalen Waddle is going to the Giants, even with Devonta Smith available. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, this is I have Devonta Smith higher. I have Rashad Bateman higher. I think this is the only wide receiver that makes sense, frankly. And it's because I think, you know, Bateman to some degree is redundant from what they've got with Kenny Galladay. Not this, not entirely the same player, but I think would play a similar role for them. And I just don't see any way Gettleman drafts a 166-pound receiver. It's just that is not an Yeah, that's going to irk him. <laughs> that's right. definitely going to irk him. Yeah, he is a size, you know, BMI, whatever you want to call it. He likes thick guy, you know, thick, you know, big, fast, that type of athlete. And so, to me, there's no way Devonta Smith goes there. I think if they're going to take wide receiver, it's going to be Jalen Waddell. Um, and I'm really trying to rack my brain about, you know, what other positions that they have of need that that really could I think, be addressed here. I think, I think if Slater was there, that would yeah. make a lot of sense. Um, feels just a little too early for the Vera Tucker or Darisa or whatever O-lineman mm-hmm. you personally have. Um, um, I mean, I guess it's not, but it, it just feels early to me. Well, I think to some degree it is. I mean, it's not maybe too early. I think more of the issue is you just invested in Andrew Thomas. So yeah. where do you go there? Nate Solder opted out last year. Maybe, you know, you, you're kind of expecting to get good things from him down the road. Um, I think they're more looking interior down this this draft class, maybe edge rusher. But just talking this, this through, I think Jalen Waddell is, you know, he's within the range of the best player on my board. He's not quite there right now, but he's within range, and I think he's the best fit at wide receiver, which is what most of the, the board for me is right now. So, uh, Jalen Waddell, I like that pick. Who's at 12 again? My mind is uh, drawing a blank. The Eagles. The Eagles. Eagles they, that's right. They, they went from 6 to 12 with the Dolphins after the San Fran trade. So this is the original San Francisco 49er pick. Based on what's happened, they were right to move up just to get a quarterback. So time will tell if they got the right one. But no one slides to 12. The Eagles um, do have some needs at receivers still. Um, yep. I think they need to kind of retool this defense a little bit. Um, this is a pretty good board for their team needs right I tend now. To agree, yeah. They could go corner. Um, I wouldn't rule out Parsons even. I wouldn't rule out Devonta Smith, but this is your call. Um, I'm not sold on what I would do yet, so or what I think they will do. So well, let's kind of figure this out. The other one that's interesting to me, you mentioned Parsons, and I think you know, wide receivers in play here. But they have spent capital on that position recently. I think they've got a, you know, Raggers a decent player, and they're they're a tight end centric offense to some degree. Whether or not Ertz is there, um, the guy that kind of interests me, you said Parsons at linebacker, and I think that's a need. But I kind of like uh, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa even a little bit better for them. He, yeah, give him a joker. Yeah, he kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Malcolm Jenkins. He could kind of drop into the box on early downs and play that you know strong side backer for you, could kick out to the slot on kind of maybe uh, long, first and long, second and long, and, and actually cover a wide receiver or one of these hybrid tight ends. He really interests me too here. I think – the, the consensus is they're going to go wide receiver. I I don't know. I got to imagine they're a little bit nervous about taking wide receiver. Now, this is a predictive draft. So I think the question is, what are you predicting that they're going to do? And I think 
I wanted to talk about Koromoa for a second just because I love the player. I think if I'm going to give him a linebacker here, it's probably Parsons. But between running back and – or, I'm sorry, linebacker and wide receiver, what are your what would your preference be? Oh, I – predictively, I think it's more likely they take the receiver. Um, they yeah. feel snake-bitten by their poor choices in the past. It sounds like this isn't a very happy front office right now that <laughs> Howie Roseman is kind of, he uses his board and kind of disregards what the scouts tell him. Yeah. So that makes him a hard team to predict. Um, you're just guessing off of one man and his tendency is to make weird choices at the receiver position. So maybe he even tries to get too cute and take someone further down our board, like a Rondell Moore, Kadarius oh. Tony. I've heard rumored to them as early okay. as this pick. Um, Rashad Bateman obviously would be the next man up on my board, but I don't know, man, this is tough. I I'd be guessing. I don't really feel like I have any insight on this decision. You know what, then I'm going to go with what my gut says. And my gut says they're going to try to rectify last year. Devonta Smith reminds me a heck of a lot, just in terms of the way he moves, the way he's built, uh, to Justin Jefferson. And that's obviously who they should have taken, um, at pick, uh, what was it, 22, 21 last year, wherever they took Ragger. Um, I think they they maybe look to get that archetype of player, that that separator, that sort of long, uh, movable chess piece. Give him Devonta Smith. I think that's about as predictable as we can get. For Long's sure. To 13. Yeah, the Chargers, um, I, I think they were hoping and praying Rashawn Slater would slide to them, uh-huh. but that's not the case. Um, I think O-line is pretty much um, the most likely scenario for them. So I got my eyes on two guys for them, Darissa and Tucker. I know who your preference is, um, and for the Vikings at least. Right. Um, as yep. far as the Chargers go, I feel like they need more of a day one left tackle. Yep. And I feel a little bit more confident in Darissa being that guy. So yep. I think that's... Um, the way I'm going to go here for them. Totally on board with it. I've got uh, Vera Tucker and Darisaw back-to-back on my board. I technically have uh, AVT one spot above them, but that what that means is that they're tiered in the same you know area, so this would come down to team need and team fit. You're absolutely right. They don't need a guy who can kick inside. They need a true left tackle, and uh, Christian Darisaw is that dude. I think he's a, a, a guarantee to go in the top Fifteen picks, pretty much. I, I think he's in play more in play for the Vikings than maybe people are. No, I agree. Are, I've are been letting on. I think they might be upset that he went here instead of maybe the guy that we look to take. Sure, I, I totally agree. I, I I will be very happy if he's wearing purple. Um, for whatever reason, Twitter thinks I'm a Chargers fan. Like if you go to trending things, <laughs> it, it'll say like Vikings, and then right below it, it's Chargers. So I, I apparently I click on a lot of Chargers stuff. Whatever the algorithm is, the, I'm, I'm I guess I'm a Chargers fan now. So. For me, it's actually it's funny you mentioned that. Mine is the Niners, and it's because I've liked or retweeted so much Brandon Ayuk stuff. That oh sure, the, the app thinks that I'm a Niners fan, but uh, yeah, well, and probably Kittle. I I I love Kittle too. Yeah. So I retweet a bunch of his stuff too, so they think I'm a Niners fan. Uh so we're on to the Vikings pick, the hometown pick here. I technically get the last say, so why don't you go ahead and kind of lay the uh, the cases for anybody other than maybe the guy that you think I'm going to take? 
Well, the the one name that I feel like wouldn't shock me outside of offensive line, I think there's a 90% chance this is an O-lineman. But if I had to pick a non-O-lineman that I think is possible here, it would be Quiddy Pay, mm-hmm. the edge from Michigan. I You comped him to kind of the, the next Everson Griffin type end for them. And yep. I think that's something they value and something they don't have. And it might be something Zimmer's fighting for behind the scenes right now. So wouldn't shock me to see Quiddy Pay as the pick here. But let's be real. We are both Viking fans. Like we've said a million times, we're just gosh darn sick of this offensive line's performance. Yeah. So if it's not an O-lineman, even if it's a player I really like, like Quiddy Pay, there's going to yep. be a certain level of disappointment if this pick was not Elijah Vera Tucker. Yep, and I'm totally with you. I think, you know, I'm going to turn the turn the card in and say it's Elijah Vera Tucker if we're sitting here. I like the case you laid out for Quiddy Pay. Um, I'm going to give you a couple more names that I think from a you know Viking standpoint, would fit what they're looking to do. Um, Alex Leatherwood, I'm going to talk about him a little bit later yeah. in the show. Jason Owe, uh, Christian Barmore, Greg Rousseau, Jalen Phillips. I think you look at those names, and Tevin Jenkins. I'm sorry, I glossed over him. He's another guy that I yeah. think makes a ton of sense. I think you start saying those names, and you look at the fact we don't have a second-round pick. And I think the best-case scenario because I think Vera Tucker could be there, you know, in the 20s, 20, potentially, yeah. if, if things fall right. And if they don't, I just gave you six names that are fallback plans. Right. Um, so I think that's one real possibility. The other thing I will say is, um, whichever one we don't address in the first round, even if we don't pick up a second round pick, I am really interested in both the D end and the guard classes kind of on that late middle day two. Um, yep. A guy that I'm much higher on, and then it feels like the consensus, Peyton Turner, I feel like is a guy you can get on day three. Who knows, Boogie Basham could be there kind of in that range where we start getting Do you close like to- Kendrick Green? Kendrick Green. Oh, the O-lineman from Illinois? Yeah. Well, he tested insane, yes. I, I kind of do, yeah. Well, he tested insane, and uh, he's a really good mover. Um, so I think he would fit kind of the, the type of players. He's a that guy I keep for. getting in like round three in my little Vikings box. So I, that's kind of like my fallback guard. I, I think sure. we need a tackle and a guard, to be honest with you. I'm with you. Yeah, we're two offensive linemen short. And that's really why I tip towards taking one at the top. Because I think we will find a way to address second corner if need be because of the Gladney situation. Um, right. I, I definitely think that there's a chance that uh, – you know, we look to get a second O-lineman and a defensive end, but I think you need two O-linemen ultimately. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Trey Smith, Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame. There's there's dudes in this third round that I'm I'm quite high on on the O-line class, and I would say the same thing about the DN class. So I'm kind. Of, this has kind of been a theme. I'm just preaching everybody just be very calm because – you just you got to see how the whole the whole picture shakes out. Right. If you don't like how day one worked out, just breathe. Not everybody's going to be happy with how this shakes out, but I think well, everyone likes to have the hot initial take where sure. if it's not the guy they wanted all along, they're right. naturally going to be upset, and some people handle handle disappointment better than others. Um, but fortunately for us Vikings fans, the depth of this class aligns very well with our needs. Yes, absolutely. Um, do you want to get, so that was pick 14. We sort of felt like that was, that was a good cutoff point. We're going to get into some uh, draft superlatives. Should we do that next news? 
Yeah, um, and since I don't really, I didn't prepare for this, I'm not quite sure where you're going with it. Why don't you kind of kick it off so I kind of got a better idea of what you're planning with this? Yeah, it's only, you know, four, I got four draft superlatives here. And I'll maybe, I'll maybe start you off with one to kind of get you loose. And I can, I can give my answer on the front end. Um, and I heard this on a different podcast today. So credit to two guys and a girl pod. Um, I believe that's how they, it was, it's the guys from Stick to Football. Uh, in this draft class, you're, the player you'd be most excited to uh, play with as Madden, or that in, in Madden that you're oh. most excited to play with. I got um, an answer for you right away. Okay, then then shoot. Go ahead. Rondell Moore, I'm moving him to running back. Oh, I love that one. I did that with Percy Harvin when he was in the game, and that's the guy we've uh, we've comped to Rondell, or at least that I've comped to Rondell. And it's it's devastating. You can you cannot stop it. Yeah, that's um, what I'm doing day one Madden franchise. Trading for Rondell Moore, <laughs> switching him to running back, game over. Okay, and I've got a I've got a different answer. I think it's a more expected answer, frankly. It's it's Kyle Pitts. Um, yeah. I do play a little bit of Madden, and uh, one fun thing that I've done or that I like to do is to Madden as a way for you to sim like 20 years into the future, where the whole player pool is just fictional care, you know, fictional right. uh, drafted created players um and what i've noticed in that in those leagues is in madden there's two things you need you need outside corners that can actually play man because if you can't you're stuck in in zone coverage in in madden and that's not good uh they don't quite match play match zone the way they do in the nfl and madden so good corners so you can play man but then the second thing is a good tight end in that game is absolutely unstoppable oh, yeah. Absolutely. You, there's no linebackers and safeties that can cover them on flag routes, on out routes, uh, on those drags across the middle. You get a 260-pound linebacker stuck on a good tight end, and it's just game over. So uh, he feels like the biggest edge, um, but I like the Rondell choice. I think I like any of the quarterback choices, especially either Lance or Fields, just because it's fun to try to create with your legs with a quarterback. But uh, props to the the podcast, because I, I really liked that one, and I wanted to include it. Uh, this one's a little bit more uh, dynasty oriented, just the best dynasty value. And I've got both a pre-draft um, and a post-draft uh, name for this. Um, I'm going to kind of, I'll just go into mine to give you kind of a, a yeah. thought, uh, chance to get your thoughts together. Um, pre-draft, best dynasty value. I'm going with Elijah Moore. I think we've been missing the boat on this one. There's been a lot of conversation yeah, about Yeah, people are waking up on Twitter about Elijah yeah. Moore. And I think we're all going to be – it's all going to be hammered home when he goes on the first round of, of the NFL draft here on, on Thursday night. I think it's I think it's closer to – you know, in terms of 50-50s, it's swung to the he's going on the first, on the first day of the draft. Um, I don't think he's a, a sneaky play anymore, but um, if you were doing drafts a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago, boy, he was an incredible value. And I think the guy that I'm going to pick – uh, for this, for a post-draft uh, sort of value, I think it's going to be Rondell Moore. I don't think the NFL is consensusly as high on him as as maybe the community is. And I think with sort of the archetype and the role that he's going to be cast into, um, sort of feels like he, it's going to take the right team. There's not going to be 32 out of 32 teams that are interested in his services. And so I just wonder... Does he start? I mean, he's. I feel like he's going to slip into day two, and how far he slips into day two, um, I, something tells me the community is going to be much lower on him than I saw him as high as like pick seven in single quarterbacks, pick five in single quarterbacks early in the process. And I'm wondering if he's maybe a guy who's going to see a little bit of a 
um, dynasty drop-off. Do you got a good name for either post or pre-draft uh, well, best value? I feel like pre-draft, um, FFPC, that's tight end premium, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah, um, I've done a few startups, and I've been surprised by how late um, I've gotten Pat Fryermuth based on how good much one. I like him. I feel like he's a very excellent value in tight end premium right now. I think he's going to go earlier than a lot of people think. Wouldn't shock me late round one, early round two. I just, man, watch his tape. He's so freaking good. Well, and I think it's a little bit of that. He's not Kyle Pitts. So anybody other than Kyle Pitts doesn't get anybody excited. And that's. And that uh, I get it, but that Fryerman is better than every tight end in last year's class. If he Um, goes in, let me put it this way. If he goes in the second round of the NFL draft and he goes where he's currently going and even super flex drafts, which is like the middle of the third, that's criminal. Now, I think some of that will change once we do find out his capital and landing spot. Um, however, you're right. He's going way too late. I think it is because of Pitts. And I don't know post-draft value exactly which player it's going to be, but of the top three running backs, Najee, Etienne, Williams, one of them is going to end up in a spot that's not – necessarily super juicy where they're the clear lead guy going in so one of those three if you like them now if you like all three now one of them is going to have a better cost um a week from now i I like currently i like that and i think it's a good transition to um kind of really the last thing i want to talk about before we close this thing out on an idp mock and that it's just sort of i want to just give you four names from last year and i think it'll kind of help sell the point I'm trying to get to. Uh, Jalen Rager, who I've mentioned a few times throughout this show, uh, Henry Ruggs, Keyshawn Vaughn, and Brandon Ayuk. And the reason I bring up all of those guys is because they had a swing in one direction um, or the other, frankly, on draft night based on really I'm not quite sure what. And I guess um, let me break it down like this. Jalen Rager goes pick 22 to the Philadelphia Eagles, followed shortly thereafter by Justin Jefferson. Um, and then Brandon Ayuk goes two picks later at pick 25 to the Niners. Um, pre-draft, Justin Jefferson was the highest valued of those three. And I looked post-draft, uh, Jalen Rager managed to jump him where Brandon Ayuk fell down, I don't know, three, four spots. For whatever reason, fell behind T. Higgins, fell behind some other guys. Uh, we all remember the just ridiculous leap Keyshawn Vaughn made going yeah. from basically being a third-round pick to a guy I saw go in the top seven of some of these FFPC yep. drafts. Um, and so I'm just – and Henry Ruggs was a guy that I wanted to commend the community for because we had him sort of as this wide receiver four or five in the class. He went wide receiver one in the NFL draft, and we didn't all freak out. We still said C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Justin Jefferson are better. So I'm just trying to figure out and just connect the dots. A, what can we sort of learn from that? What would you sort of tell managers as as advice? And I've been trying to maybe preach this all day about about be calm and just – the NFL draft, let it come to you. Don't freak out about every pick, but what can we learn? And just sort of maybe who are some guys that you see in this light where um, maybe landing spot or draft capital is going to play a bigger role, maybe in their value than it should. And what should managers be, I guess, prepared for in that regard? Sorry, it's kind of an open-ended question. Yeah. And the best way for me to answer this is 
Um, landing spot will affect the values of these guys, whether you want it to or not. Consensus community yep. values will change because a lot of people will overreact. But I think the opportunity then is to know who you like as you know, the, the evaluation process for these guys should be fairly com you know, complete, not complete, but like um, you should have a pretty good sample size of who these guys are going in. Right. So if they land in a spot that may depress their value some, to me, that's a great buy opportunity. Um, someone on Twitter I was reading today, I, I wish I could remember who, but it was someone I follow in the fantasy community. Yeah. It kind of a retroactive look at, um, I think it was a draft class from two or three years ago, what the perceived you know landing spot was then and what it is now. Uh -huh. A lot of them were perceived as negative landing spots where they're now very positive yep. and vice versa. So it's something that could change based on their own production in their own right. They may, they may make a perceivably bad landing spot into a good landing spot just by being really good in really their own. Good. So yeah, if they're no. a player you really like, don't be afraid of that. I mean, uh, you, you may need to adjust, you know, if you got two guys very close, if, if I really like Javante Williams and I really like Travis Etienne, if it's, if they're in the same tier for me and I like one landing spot a lot better than the other, that'll be a tiebreaker for me, but I'm not moving someone from tier three to tier two um, based on landing spot probably. Yeah, no, and I think that's, and the reason I bring those names up is because, um, I had Brandon Ayuk over Jalen Rager going into the draft. They were neck and neck for me, but but Brandon Ayuk was the guy that I had over him. Um, and then with where they went in the draft, it, nothing really had changed. They went three spots apart from each other. Right. That's not and, very significant. Right, a very small. And, you know, frankly, the, all three of those teams basically came out and said afterwards, we got our wide receiver one on, on the board at that time. Um, and, you know, I believe, well, not even at that time. Outside of the top three, all three teams said Jalen Rager for the Eagles, Justin Jefferson for the Vikings, Brandon Ayuk for the Niners was their top wide receiver after those three guys. So uh, whether that was a lie or not, I don't know. But I that's certainly what everyone's going to say. Well, it is what everybody's going to say. But the way it worked out, I mean, you you can argue it, it was Philadelphia's yeah. best. Pull. That well, was yeah, they, they they showed it. Yeah, right? they showed it. Um, and I think the Vikings showed it, it with their reactions on their Zoom call to exactly. when the Eagles took Rager. And Ayuk absolutely fits what the Niners wanted to do. Right. So that's very possibly true as well. My point is, though, um, what made me, you know, I mentioned earlier Twitter thinks I'm a Niners fan because I love Brandon Ayuk so much. What made me love him so much was fighting back against this narrative that they should be valued in any way differently. And I think some of it was analytical, but I think most of it was one of them went a little higher than the other one and went to a better perceived landing spot. And I'm just trying to get out on the front end of this thing. Uh, you said it, our, our rankings for dynasty are not set in stone. They will be somewhat moved by these landing spots and the draft capital, especially. I want to caution people I think the smaller moves are going to be more efficient for you, are going to get you closer to the right answer. And frankly, the community did adjust in some regards, getting Jefferson back towards the top of the list uh, by about August. I was looking through some of the ADP. Um, so it seems like, you know, over time we figure this out. But those, you know, gut reactions. I got drafts in two weeks. Don't be the person that, you know, goes crazy for the guy that goes higher than we think to a good landing spot. That's mm -hmm. all I'm trying to say. Uh, should we get out of here on an IDP uh, mock draft? Yeah, um, 
I haven't thought about this a lot, but I'm in. I'm adding like three or four more IDP leagues this year, so it's probably something I need to think about a little bit more. We've been so focused <laughs> on um, the Offensive you know guys, more yeah. traditional fantasy players, but um, well, I tell yeah. you what, then you can have the first pick then because. Um, not that I put a ton of work into this in terms of putting together a board, but I do have a board to at least work off of. So I'll let you go, go first and get get your favorite player in the draft. Um, I mean, I think you got to take a linebacker, it, yep. whether you're doing IDP one, two, three, um, or if you're doing a more traditional IDP scoring system. I like Micah Parsons the best. I don't think it's that difficult of a choice. Okay, and I, I totally agree with you. The interesting thing to me, is I'm with you that linebacker is the most valuable position in fantasy, but this is sort of like the Kyle Pitts argument, right? Are you getting linebacker production out of a player that you can designate at safety in Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa? Yeah, I guess I don't know his positional eligibility. If he's safety eligible, that's, yeah, that's... It makes him the easy one, would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't consider that. Yeah, and that's that's my feeling on it. So I'm going to take him here at two, and I think that will be the determining factor for me. If Owusu Koromoa's got uh, got safety and linebacker eligibility, I think he could be Jeremy Chin level productive right away. Um, and you know Parsons, I love, and he's the more you know traditional linebacker. But if I can get that guy who's got that hybrid eligibility, that's that's a big deal for me. So uh, give us number three. Yeah, no, and I uh, I totally agree with your logic there. I didn't even consider the the positional eligibility concern. So um, I think there's not really like the edge rusher in this class that mm-hmm. inspires me to go above. Um, probably my next linebacker up on my board would be Zaven Collins from Tulsa, the big yep. boy who can move. Well, that's the interesting one, right? Because you may be getting an edge. We're not quite sure. So I've found conflicting reports on him. I have him on my board at 259 because that's what he weighed at the Tulsa Pro Day. But apparently I think he showed up for medical rechecks in Indy or some other event at 270 pounds under the advice of his you know, uh, representation saying that the, the, the NFL is seeing you as an edge. Oh. So I'm really curious because I see Anthony Barr but when Anthony Barr came out, he was supposed to be much more Khalil Mack than he was, right. you know, uh, a stand-up, you know, outside linebacker who's covering Alvin Kamara. That's how I want to see them use Zavin, but I'm starting to wonder that the NFL sees him as more of a true edge, which also has value, and I think he's a super high, you know, highly talented player. So I, I'm not knocking the pick. I think uh, he's in the conversation with one other guy here for me. Um, so I, I, you know, I like the pick from that regard. I'll be curious to see where he plays. Um, right. I'm not totally sold on this pick, but it seems like the NFL is gaga for him. He's at the very least super, super athletic. Um, sounds like he's going to go potentially in the first round, but more than likely is uh, the top linebacker after Parsons and, and Zavin. Uh, it's Jamin, Jamin Davis uh, out of UK, uh, Kentucky. Yeah. Um, ran four four seven at his pro day, uh, jumped 42 inches. I mean, the kid is just a ridiculous athlete. Um, that's what the NFL is looking for because so much of the linebacker position now has become come down to your coverage ability and how well you can move with, um, frankly, slot wide receivers and, and these running backs, these satellite backs that are out catching so many passes. So I think that's the skill set that Davis has, and, and therefore I'm going to make him the pick at four. Who do you got to find? Yeah, 
Draft capital will matter a lot for Davis. I don't think I've seen a player in these mocks that has more variance in yeah. the range of where they're picked. Seen him picked in the first round. I've seen him in the fourth round. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I get it. Um, I I'm still not at the point where I think I'm ready to go a traditional edge. I guess I didn't even really consider the fact that Collins could be an edge, sure. but. Um, I still really like uh, the Missouri linebacker, Nick Bolton. Yep. So that's yep. a direction I'm going to go. I could see him. I think I put him in the first round in one of my mocks to the Packers. I could mm-hmm. see him um, late first, early to mid-second round range. Yeah, it seems like his, his day one draft steam is sort of fading. But, I mean, he's he's a middle linebacker. That doesn't surprise me. It feels like we push one or two of these right. guys up into the top or the end of the first round every year. And they go in the middle of the second or the early third round. And that's completely fine draft capital for a linebacker. I like Bolton a lot. Um, he's not my next highest rated guy. This guy might surprise you a little bit. A guy that, again, I think the NFL is going to love just because the athleticism is ridiculous. Um, okay. It's it's Baron Browning, OSU, Ohio State. Um, okay. Ran 447, 245 pounds, I should say. Uh, he's a positional convert from safety. So kind of took him a couple of years at Ohio State. He was a five-star recruit. So, um, you know, big name that just kind of took a little bit longer, but I think is one of those, you know, patented uh, better NFL career than he ever had as a college player. So I think he's a guy that the NFL is going to be maybe higher than we're all expecting on and, and a guy that I think comes in and starts within year one. So uh, Baron Browning, probably more of an outside backer, but uh, it's been pretty linebacker heavy here. That was pick six. What do you got at seven? Oh man, I'm I'm kind of having a tough time here on edge rusher. I think I want to go edge here, yeah. but I don't think I want to take my favorite player, like my favorite like NFL player, like Quiddy Pay is my favorite edge in this uh-huh. draft. But uh-huh. I don't think he'd be my favorite fantasy edge in this draft. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going Jason Owe from Penn State. He's yep. an absolute freak, and I think he has upside beyond belief. So, um, in a good spot, he might be scary. Yeah, Daniil Hunter-level tools to work with, right. just the frame and, and the speed. And, I mean, you don't – I mean, we were talking a little bit about testing here. You don't talk, see guys test that way um, almost ever. He is an outlier in almost every way. And I know he had no sacks last year, but the pressure rate was really good, um, which is something that I think is counted in IDP 1, 2, 3. It's, I'm actually excited for my first year seeing how this scoring really breaks out. Um, but uh, I think seven or eight sacks the year before. So – um, the production is there despite everybody clinging to that one stat of, you know, he didn't have a sack last year. Uh, I love the pick. I am also going to go edge. Um, I'm with you. Quiddy pays my highest rated defensive end for a defense, you know, for an NFL team. That's not who I'm taking. I see him much more as a six to eight sack a year guy. Right. Really good in the run game. The guy I've comped him to is kind of Chris Long. If you want Everson's you know, kind of in the ballpark. But I think Chris Long is sort of just really stout in the run, but not a huge sack guy. I think the guy with the biggest sack potential um, behind, oh, wait, God, now I got to pick between one of these guys because they're both guys that I really like. I'm going to go with Rousseau, uh, the Jalen Phillips before Jalen Phillips was Jalen Phillips. Uh, Gregory Rousseau out of Miami opted out this year, uh, but he had 16 or 18 sacks at Miami a year ago. Just ridiculous production. Uh, just a ridiculous athlete, in, in, in to be frank about it. 6'6 six, six and 5 ace, 11 inch hands, 83 inch wingspan. This guy is enormous. I think um, 
he's going to be a guy that has a chance to have a 15 to 18 sack season in the NFL, which is not something I see out of pay. And um, because the IDP pool is so deep, I feel like replaceable players sort of like pay um, are easier to find in the open market. Guys who have 18 sacks and that type of upside are really what you're chasing. So give me Rousseau at, was this pick eight? Uh, yes. Pick okay. eight. Pick nine. Who do you got? I'm going to stall a little bit while I consider. I feel like I want to take Trayvon Morig here. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure how much he's going to be in the box, but he has a size for it. But he's also a pretty darn good coverage safety as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how exceptional the tackle production will be. But I think he's going to be an outstanding player, so I'm just going to bet on the talent and take Morig. Yeah, he's the only other safety here that'll be on my board. I think you made the absolute right pick here. You mentioned that you're not quite sure if he's going to play in the box. I think that's sort of the beauty of him. He's kind of like Harrison Smith in that regard, where the years where it's been, we need the run produ- run stopping production Harrison can bring, we bring him up in the box. And then there's been years where... Um, our second safety is a heavy hitter and we need him to cover and he does that too. And so, um, I think there's, I mean, I think he's a phenomenal player. He's a guaranteed first round pick for me. And, um, I love that one. So at 110, I'm going to just take the easy pick. I'm going to take the other Miami edge rusher, uh, okay. Jalen Phillips also super productive this most recent season. I think is probably the most ready to produce year one, if these concussion and sort of the health issues that we've recently heard about don't manifest themselves, I think he's the most ready to come in and produce for your team right away. Um, I see kind of his upside in terms of sacks somewhere in between pay and Rousseau. Um, hence why I took Rousseau over him, but I don't, I, I see him as a guy who can get to 12, 14 pretty easily um, in his best year. So I like Phillips and, and he's the pick here still over pay. I, that's a little surprising, wouldn't you say, that we've we've taken now three edges over the guy that we probably like the best from an NFL standpoint? Right. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of, um, I mean, that's the difference between fantasy and reality because right. I'm yeah. considering taking another different edge over Quiddy Pay. I'm <laughs> okay. I'm, but I'm also I'm I'm kind of torn. Um, yeah, I'll just take pay. I like him a lot better than the guy I was going to take as just a player. So I'm going to... Don't, don't ruin it because I want to see if I can snipe you. Yep, um, I won't. So you took pay. Was that pick uh, 11? Yep, so this is the last pick. All right, I'm going to guess you were thinking Aziz Ojulari. No? Yes. It was, okay. All right, yeah. And that's that's where I'm going to go with this pick. Technically, my highest-rated player is Peyton Turner. Because I'm just I'm fascinated with him. Uh, Houston defensive end, by the way, 6'5", uh, 35 inch arms, just another ridiculous athlete. And yeah, the competition level is a little bit lower, but um, there's a motor. I watched him this weekend actually in, in a game against Memphis. Uh, he's a fun guy to watch, and I'm I'm excited to see where he goes. But Ojolari's the guy that's highest on my board after after pay. So um, yeah. Anyone, anyone that you uh, didn't take that was uh, you were close to taking for me. Uh, um, Jabril Cox was former. Did you know he played most of his college career at NDSU before he transferred that. to LSU? Okay. Yeah, it's actually funny. I'm sort of mad at myself. I forgot this in the film notes when I was doing my Cade Johnson work. Uh, there was a really fun play where Cade Johnson had gotten the best at NDSU like two drives in a row. And they had him in the slot, and they lined Jabril Cox right up over the right up over his nose, uh, and Cade won the battle. Uh, now 
he took a big hit over the middle because they brought another safety down. They basically double covered him on that play, went press man with Jabril Cox in the slot, um, and then a safety came downhill at him. My point is, yes, I didn't. I did know that he was at NDSU and he was a baller there, and it was great to see him go to the SEC and prove that it's not. A, this is what I mean with with Trey Lance. The the level of competition is not that big of a difference when SDSU and NDSU are on the field. Those are two power five teams. I'm sorry, there's no other way around it. So yeah, I agree. Uh, the other guy that I would consider, and you know, di- I didn't get to it in draft superlatives, but he was a guy that came up for me of the toughest evals in the class. It's Dylan Moses. I mean, you're talking about a kid that two years ago looked like a Devin White top 10 caliber middle linebacker. And through the injuries um, and some poor play last year, I mean, he's fallen into day three. But that player that we saw as a sophomore is still in there. And and I I just I want to see him be successful. I'm, he's a guy that I'm rooting for more than anybody else. That said, I don't know how to value him right now. So sure. uh, Dylan Moses was also a guy. Um, I think we should wrap it up there, Newts. I'm not yeah. quite sure where we're at exactly for time, but um, I think we should call her a call her a draft prep and uh, just wish everybody a fun NFL draft. And I can't wait. I'm I'm just I'm sweating. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm giddy. I just want it to be uh, now. I'm yeah. ready for it. Um, and then, yeah, let's uh, wish the King of Netherlands a very happy birthday as we get out of here. King Willem Alexander of the country of Netherlands, our, one of our favorite soccer countries. So uh, happy birthday, King. I don't know if you're a good ruler or an evil ruler, but regardless. <laughs> well, things are going birthday. pretty well in, in the Netherlands right now. So yeah. I guess he's, he's, if he's got any power. Seems like a fun place to live. So <sighs> kudos to him. It's the it'd be a, it'd be a really good place to live. Probably probably not better than here, but you know what? I'm seventy percent Dutch, so maybe if America gets too raw for me, I'll I'll head back to the. I home. didn't realize you were so Dutch. So happy birthday to your king! <laughs> <laughs> All right, well I think let's cut it off there. I I always love hanging out with you, Newts. I can't wait till we get to talk again because we're gonna have landing spots for these guys. But the next yeah, time, man. The next time we get on a pod. So I'm I'm jacked up for it. And I well, hope forewarning, uh, I might be a little drunk for our next episode. Um I'm I'm gonna have a hard time not down in a six pack during round one. So you'll get fully unhinged nasty newts. I look <laughs> forward to it. Right on. All right, we'll talk to you then, newts. See ya.